Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're, we're still there, aren't we? <laughs> we've, uh, we've been in Matthew chapter 7 for a couple of weeks, <clears throat> just walking through the Word. It's been good. I, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. <clears throat> I was going to bring a message that I thought would be delivered in two parts, <clears throat> but today is actually part three, and there's going to be one more, so it looks like it'll be four after all. We've entitled the message, Biblical Advice <clears throat> for Daily Living, and uh, this is all coming straight from the Lord Jesus. If you have a red letter edition Bible, then these words are in red. <clears throat> these are the words that Jesus spoke to the disciples and others who were hearing him, and he did give us not just good advice, but biblical advice that we can use every day. And it's all been very good. Matthew chapter 7, if you found your place, let's stand once more for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> and then I'll let you be seated for a, just a little while. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Matthew 7. Let's pray first. And we'll begin reading in verse 21. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of the church, to be able to gather and assemble. Lord, there are many reasons you, you designed us, and we are social creatures. You designed life, and you designed this thing we call the Christian life. Knowing what we need, Lord, you also gave us and designed the local church. And we thank you for the privilege to be a part of this, to be able to gather and assemble, to worship freely, and to read and learn the Word of God. Lord, to receive fellowship and encouragement from the saints, uh, all at the same time and in the same place. To be allowed an opportunity to listen to the words of God and allow you to speak to our hearts. Lord, these all are precious privileges that we observe freely in America. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us not to take them for granted. But help us, Lord, to appreciate them and, and to value them even today as we sit here. As we come to the reading of your word, Lord, we do ask that you'd be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. We pray that you'll apply the message to us as individuals, that you'll speak to every heart, every mind, that you'll show us what you'd have us do. What is our part in your plan? Speak to our hearts today. Give us guidance from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> verse 21, the Bible says, and again, Jesus speaking here, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. <clears throat> Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. <clears throat> then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? I want you to look again at verse 23. <clears throat> Notice what Jesus said. <clears throat> and then will I profess unto them, 
I never knew you. And I want to stop there just for emphasis. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we look at this message today, we've been taking biblical advice from the Lord. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus talked about how we judge others. And his message there, his advice was, don't be a hypocrite. Those verses explain that context very well, and we've already dealt with that. The next thing he said was, don't be trivial with truth. He talked about casting your pearls before swine. And we said that we need to consider our audience as we deliver God's word. And these, among others, are great words of advice. Jesus then taught about prayer, and he is instructing us to ask for those special, those important things in life. Because he said God, as our Heavenly Father, longs to give us good things. In verse 12, he tells us to remember the golden rule. That is to treat others the way you would be treated. And not like the world does. To do it to them before they do it to you. Remember the law of sowing and reaping, and we dealt with that there. How do you expect to receive good if you don't initiate it first? Then Jesus encouraged us to stay on the straight and narrow path because few there be that find it. And then as we finished up with these verses we have here, he was warning us to watch for false prophets. And when he admonished us to watch for false prophets, that is those who would teach us in the faith, that is our responsibility These are not verses that we apply to each other as brethren. These are verses that apply to those who would teach us. And he said, by their fruits shall you know them. And and he talked about uh, what to look for in a false prophet. Now, there's other texts in the Bible that help us with that to bring some additional clarity. But this is a good start. And Jesus was giving us that advice. Watch out for that and look a little closer at the fruit. Um, you know, we, we know in this life you, you can't believe everything you hear and uh, sometimes only half what you see. And so we have to think about what Jesus said. He was accurate and he was right in that. So we understand that the, the passage about the false prophets and then these verses that I'm reading today about salvation in context go together. And so we, we kind of highlighted that that. Side note, when we were there last week, talking about we have to remember as church people, we have to remember that when we assemble like this, it's possible that not everyone sitting under the sound of a gospel message truly is saved. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that to purposely cast doubt anywhere. I would never want to do that. That's not my agenda. But it is to remind us that there are tares among the wheat, and we, you know, we have to understand that's that's why. That's why there are problems even in the church. All right? So we know where they come from. Today I want to look down at those last few verses once again because I believe there's another piece of advice there that I don't want us to miss. And if you've already taken this advice, that's good for you, but hopefully this message then will help you to know how to explain it to others. Because this is a point that is confusing to many. And I hope today's word will bring clarity to that. Today's piece of advice, and I'm just giving one point today, 
because I want to deal exclusively with this. That is salvation, and this is what we get from this passage that we just read. Salvation is not in a religion, but in a relationship with Jesus. So if you're taking notes on your advice, your list of advice, this is number seven. Salvation is not in a religion, but in a relationship with Jesus. Now look, I know when you came in the parking lot this morning, you passed our sign, all right, and it said Beckwith Baptist Church. And I know there are labels and tags that we wear to identify how we interpret the Word of God, and that's perfectly appropriate, and we stand by that. But we have to understand that everywhere there are people who have come to know Jesus as their Savior, right? And that can be true regardless of where they're attending and assembling today, right? So I don't want you to assume that we're connecting salvation with any particular denomination. Actually, the opposite is true. What I'm trying to say here is that salvation does not come through a religion, but it comes through a relationship with Jesus himself. That's why in verse 23, we read that twice. And we noticed here that the basis of this piece of advice, by the way, who's given it? Consider the source, right? When we consider the source of this advice, this is biblical advice coming from Jesus. And the basis of this conclusion is on verse 23. Jesus said, I never knew you. What was the question? Notice what they said, verse 22. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? Right? Anybody here ever cast out devils? <laughs> I would say they're on the upper scale of as far as works go, wouldn't you? But the problem is they're depending on those works to get them to heaven. They think, falsely, they think they have misunderstood. They think that by doing those good works, they now have a place in heaven. And that simply is not the case. And if I could illustrate that a little bit, I could say, look, I, I could, I could uh, change my clothes and roll up my sleeves. I could dirty my hands, put rags in my pocket, and, and I could go hang out in a mechanic shop. <laughs> but that does not make me a mechanic. Right? Hey, I can, I can take this coat off and put a white one on. I can wear a stethoscope around my neck. I can go hang out in the halls of the hospital. But that does not make me a doctor. So in the same way, you can carry a Bible, you can come to church, you can speak the language, you can do the deeds, but that does not make you a believer. Does it make sense? This is what Jesus is dealing with in these last verses. Now, in context, he is reminding us that these false teachers, they are what they are, wolves in sheep's clothing, because they're not saved. But I, but I want to I highlight this part again because, I, because this part, not the false prophet part, but this part about the relationship with Jesus also applies to us. Because there are many people, not prophets, but people who try to come to Jesus the same way. And we, un, we must understand the biblical message. We know that first... The reason people need to be saved in the first place is because of sin. The Bible says in Romans 
3.10. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. The word righteous means perfect in the sight of God. Nobody measures up to that. And because of that, we all need Jesus. We all need the work that he did on the cross. We all need that forgiveness of sins that only his blood can apply to our heart and life. He paid for that. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Right? Think about that. Romans 3, 23, I'm sorry, says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. So putting those verses together, we understand that because we're not perfect, or by the way, we're not perfect because we're sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how short, you're just short. You miss the mark. You never make it. On your own, you'll never get there. And that's why these stand destitute before Christ. Lord, haven't we done all these great things? It doesn't matter. You've missed the mark. Judas kissed the door of heaven, but died and went to hell. You can be ever so close, but if you miss, you miss. It's not about how good am I or how good can I become. None of that matters. Because you're already a sinner. And because of that sin, we now need Jesus. We need the forgiveness that he brings. That only he can give. Good works don't erase bad works. So we can't erase our sin by doing something good. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. And so we understand as we begin to look at Scripture that there's a real issue here. They've come to the Lord and they are expecting an entrance into heaven. But the Lord Jesus is saying, sorry. He says, depart from me. Why? Not because you didn't do good. Not because you didn't try hard. But because he said, I never knew you. The basis wasn't about goodness or works the basis for the decision was about relationship and so he says and by the way who's speaking who's going to say depart from me one day who's going to be that judge jesus think about that i want you to see what the bible says we said salvation is not in a religion but it's in a relationship What is religion anyway? It's a system of beliefs. It's a system of acts. It's a system of works. So go with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. We'll look at a couple of verses here. First of all, verse 8. So in Ephesians 2, 8, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, underline this part, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know the, the way our sad hearts are wired. <laughs> if we were like those people, if we could amass a great pile of good works... And get to heaven that way, you know what we would be doing in heaven? We'd be walking around saying, hey, let me tell you what I did to get here. 
Hey, did you hear? You see my list? Right? No, 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 it's not going to be any of that. If you read the Bible about heaven and what it says, all the praise is going to be going to God. Not to you, not to me, not to us. It's not about us. It's about him and what he did. And in heaven, the Bible says every knee shall bow. In heaven, they're, they're casting their crowns before his feet saying, Thou art worthy because of what he did, not because of what they did. And it's just like our human nature that we would just brag on ourselves if we could get to heaven by being good enough or, or doing enough good deeds. It's simply not, it, it doesn't work that way. If we go back and look at these verses carefully, I had you underline that expression, not of yourselves. That means there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to gain an entrance into heaven. It says it's the gift of God. Gifts are not free, but they're freely given. You ever bought a gift? How many of you ever bought a gift? Oh, come on now. Y'all got friends, don't you? <laughs> All right, you bought a gift that you know that when you got to the checkout counter with that gift, they didn't just wave you on by and say, oh, you're, oh, you're giving that away? Okay, you, no charge. No, 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 that's not how it works. Somebody pays for that. The giver pays. The giver pays sometimes a great price. And, and, in, and in this case, the greatest price. Jesus paid it all. Right? So, we're, we're, we're getting close to the fall, and then will come Christmas, all right? And you'll be doing this. You'll be going shopping. You'll be buying gifts. You're going to pay for that price. You're going to bring it home, box it up, put someone's name on that. Then you're going you're gonna to give it to them. They're going to be the receiver. You're the giver. You paid the price. Now, how much are they going to pay to receive the gift? Zero. Now, how is it we understand that when it comes to birthdays and Christmas but we don't understand that in church. Gifts are freely given. You can't buy a gift. It's not possible. When I go to my children at Christmas time and say, here's your gift, if they try to hand me money, I would be insulted by that. No, I'm not taking your money. No, this is a gift. No, you can't, it's, you can't buy it. It's not for sale. Your money's no good. Right? That's what God says when we try to come to him with all that stuff. So these verses tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Verse 9 says what? Not of works. God's saying all that's no good here. You can't earn this, you can't buy this. Why? Because he gives it freely. You have to receive it from him. You have to accept his payment or you don't get the gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, turn over to the book of Titus. Right before Hebrews and James, look at the book of Titus. And notice as Paul writes to Titus what he says about this same subject. Titus chapter 3, notice verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us 
by the washing of regeneration. He's talking about the new birth that happens on the inside of a believer. When you receive Christ as your Savior, the transaction takes place on the inside. It's called regeneration. It's giving new life. And it says, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice verse 7 says, that being justified by your good works. No, being justified by your righteousness. No, being justified by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this is something that God does in us. And then he proclaims us as an heir with Christ. The Bible calls it joint heirs. Joint heirs with Jesus. Pretty powerful stuff here. So in other words, what what the Bible's telling us is that salvation is something you can't get on your own. It's something that only Jesus can give you. But you have to accept it as a gift. You have to believe on him in order to get it. The Bible does say that salvation is a gift. Look at, uh, go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 tells us that salvation is not something that you earn. It cannot be earned. And some people, and and I think this is no coincidence, some people teach that you have to earn salvation through many acts of what they call penance. In other words, you're punishing yourself for the wrongdoing that you've done in an, or, in an effort to earn salvation, earn God's favor or forgiveness. But you can't earn it. The Bible's very clear about this. Salvation is a gift and it cannot be earned, not by any work that you can do. There is no amount of penance you can do to earn salvation. The Bible says in Romans 6, look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Wages is what you earn. Because of our sin, we've earned death. That's what we deserve. In the Bible, death does not mean you cease to exist. The word death there means a a separation. There's a physical death where the body and the soul separate. We know about that. We bury the body. We cannot see the soul But the Bible says there's a second death where the soul is separated from God and cast into the lake of fire. A first death and a second death, two separations that happen, right? And and you can't can't, uh, escape that. The wages have been earned. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice here, it's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, we read it a moment ago, also calls this a gift. Salvation is a gift of God. Eternal life is a gift of God. We, we all love John three sixteen that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That life comes Through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to give us salvation or this eternal life that we're talking about. All right, so how do you get it? 
If Jesus died on the cross and he died for everyone, that means forgiveness is available to everyone. How do you get it? The Bible says, if it's a gift, the logical thought is, then you have to receive it. That's what you do with gifts. Gifts are given and gifts are received. So it's true in Scripture. Notice what the Bible says. Let's go to, you're already in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. You might circle that word if you're in the habit of taking notes in your Bible. And ask yourself this question. Saved from what? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The idea of being saved is being saved from that. Saved from the wages you've earned through your sin. Right? Those who die without Christ in their sins end up in hell. So, in short, we're talking about being saved from hell. That's what it means. Saved, rescued from that. Let's, go, let's look at another verse. Look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Notice it says, in verse 11, this is talking about Jesus coming down to the world. We celebrate that at Christmas. It says, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. It's true, the Jews rejected Him. But look at verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. We're talking about those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to allow what he did to be their payment of sin instead of trying to earn it themselves. So in order to be saved, you have to stop believing all of those conscience-soothing thoughts about penance and works in order to be saved. You have to stop believing that. You cannot work to earn salvation. And you have to start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who truly paid for your sins when he died on the cross and shed his precious blood. And when you receive him, then you get forgiveness. So that's what it means when it says, to them gave he power. The word power means authority. They have the right to say, I'm a son of God. I'm going to heaven. Who has that right? Those who received him. So I would ask you this question. Have you received him? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Can you, can you think back to a time and place? That's when I received Christ. I talked to a, a young man one time. I asked him that question. He couldn't remember. He said, haven't I always had Jesus? He said, I grew up in church. I said, well, that's great that you grew up in church, but that's not the same thing. There has to be a time when you received him. I said, now, if you received him, that's good. Then you have eternal life. But if you haven't received him, then you need to take care of that. Have you received him? He said, oh, I know. I received Christ when I got baptized. That's when I received Christ. I said, no. Baptism is what we do after we receive him. 
I said, you know, if you try out for sports and, and you get picked for a team, I said, after you get picked and put on the team, you get assigned to that team, then you put on a jersey. You identify which team you're already on. I said, so baptism for the believer is like putting on a jersey. You're saying, hey, I'm on God's team. That's what getting baptized means. Receiving Christ comes before baptism, and that's the reason for baptism. You get put on God's team by accepting Jesus as your Savior. Then you go through the baptismal waters saying, I'm on God's team. Wow. He said, well, man, I don't know. I guess I never have then. And if that's the case, if you never have then, then that's the next thing you need to do. Even to them that believe on his name. Notice verse 13 says, which were born. He's talking about being born again. Not of blood, not that physical birth, nor of the will of the flesh. I think I can, I think I can. No, 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 no. That doesn't get you there. Nor of the will of man, but of who? Of God. So that being born again on the inside that we talked about, that happens with the Holy Spirit, God does that work in you. It's not something you do. It's something He does within. And He only does it for those who receive Him as their Savior. I want to show you one more verse. Look at, look at 1 John. Let's go to the book of 1 John. Same writer. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 11. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. Notice what it says. And this is the record that God hath given to us, what? Eternal life. And this life is in church membership. No, not in church membership. And this life is in the baptismal waters. No, it doesn't say that either, does it? It says this life is in living a good, clean life. Wrong again. This life, eternal life, is in His Son. It's in Jesus. Look at verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you see why Jesus teaches this is about relationship, not religion? You have the Son or you don't. You either have the Son and you have life, or you don't have the Son and you don't have life. It really is that simple. What have you done with Jesus. Notice verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That's people, you, you believe there is a God, you know He's real. Notice what He says. That you may know that you have eternal life. 
and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. What is that second belief? Putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the only way you can know that you're saved. The only way. So when you hear people talking about having a, a no-so salvation, this is, this is where they get that from. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, this is why the Bible was written. Verse 11 says, this is the record. Here it is. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you may know. God gave us the Bible so that we would know how to be saved the right way. This is God's way. This isn't my way. This isn't the Beckwith way. This is Jesus' way. Right? That's why Jesus said, if you come through the door, you can enter in. But if you try to come through a window or some other way, you're a thief and a robber. What do, we, what do you do with them? <laughs> what happens to those guys? They get drug out, don't they? That's why he said to that group, depart from me. He said, I, I never knew you. I never knew you. Man, what a sad thought. What a sad thought for someone to live their whole life being in church, trying to be religious, trying to do good, trying to do spiritual church things, Bible things, thinking that all of that's going to add up one day and give them some entrance into heaven, only to be sadly disappointed when they get there and find out that none of that was enough. And after over 25 years of ministry and a lifetime of studying the Bible, I can tell you why. God doesn't do it that way. Because if God made a list of things you had to do to get to heaven, it would automatically exempt some people. They would not be able to go. Let me give you an example. If God was going to make it easy, a simple list, hey, here, here's what you got to do to make sure you're going to heaven. Number one, you got to go to church every Sunday. Oh, how many of y'all ever missed a Sunday? Come on, be honest. God knows, right? Okay, all y'all are out. <laughs> you didn't make the first one. <laughs> and you know, that's where uh, like 99% of us would be. You see how easy that is? Okay, you missed it. Too bad. So sad. Oh, that's why God didn't do it that way. Hey, what about, what about folks in the hospital? What about people that are sick? What about people that are shut in, handicapped? What about them? God made salvation so easy that everyone could be saved. That's why the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, anyone, it says you shall be saved. You don't even have to be in church to do it. Salvation and church attendance are two separate things. Now, if you can attend church and you never do, then it makes me kind of wonder if you really got the salvation part. Right? I mean, because a faith that won't get you to church, man, I don't know if that's a faith that will get you to heaven. Is it real? That's what Brother James was talking about. Is our faith real? Does it show itself anywhere? That's, that's some examination you have to do in your own heart. 
But the way to get this faith is through Jesus Christ, not through your own goodness, not through a list of works you do. Jesus said, this is the will of the Father, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Did you, let's go back to Matthew 7. Did you see that verse? Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, if you read that wrong, you come away thinking, well, I've got to do the will of God. I've got to do all these good things. No, that's not what he was referring to. The will of God for salvation is that you believe on Jesus Christ. And Jesus actually said that. This is the will of my Father, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. So that's what he was referring to there, right there. If he had been referring to a, a life of church service or, or a life of good living, good deeds, he would have been contradicting the scriptures because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we can do. Jesus was referring to the will of God. The will of God for your salvation is that you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and shed his precious blood that he might wash away your sin, justify you, and make you a child of God. All you have to do to receive all that is come and accept him for what he did. You just have to, you have to accept. I'm, I'm no longer going to believe in what I can do I'm now going to believe in what he already did for my salvation. It's that simple. Now, when, when we help people do that, we usually have them say a prayer. But salvation's not in the prayer. It's in the understanding that you're transferring your trust to Jesus Christ and that he now is becoming your Savior. He's going to save you, not you save you. Not him plus you saving you. But he's going to do it all by himself. Because he did it all. And when he died on the cross, he said, it's finished. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, by himself, paid for our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. Hey, by himself. He doesn't need your help. But he does need your faith. You have to come to him, put your trust in him. He will save you. All the songs we sang this morning reflected the teachings of what I'm talking about today. Isn't it so great how God just lines that stuff up, just gets our mind on the right track before we ever opened His Word? You know, God wants you to know that you're saved. Salvation is not in a religion, but it's in a relationship with Jesus. I trust you have yours. I trust you're already walking in your relationship with Jesus, having known Him, hopefully for a long time. But if you're here today and you've never done that, I want to invite you to come and let us take a Bible and show you how. You can make that choice today. There's no, there's no reason to leave that undone. It's not about being hard. It's so easy to do. It's just a matter of are you willing to transfer your trust to Jesus and allow Him to save you without any works of your own being a part of it. You believe Him? Enough to do that? The Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we love you today. 
how we thank you for your goodness and your love toward us. Lord, in that, in that you loved us so much that you died for us on an old rugged cross. Lord, while we were yet sinners, so unworthy, yet you died for us. And today, Lord, we, are, we rejoice that it was your will, it was your plan to redeem, to provide salvation for mankind, that you did pay the, the, the price in full and offer it to us freely. Oh, how we thank you for that. And we pray you'd have your will in this invitation. Help us, Lord, to be able to explain this truth to others. And if there be one here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray today would be the day they would open their heart to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.